Time keeps on leaving and we keep on moving. When do we pass on our wisdom to the youth? My veteran story lost our discussions, fireside chats with a bourbon or two. It's time to hear the stories by military veterans. Get yourself ready. It's the Lost Arts Podcast. The Lost Arts with Andrew Cox. Hello, hello, my friends, and welcome. Welcome back to the Lost Art Podcast. That podcast has given a voice to our veterans. On today's episode, we have Zach Roberts back on the program to discuss uh, the rest of his veteran story. If you are enjoying the podcast and consider being a TLA patron, that's the Lost Arts patron. It is with donors that we are able to continue recording these podcasts and getting our veteran community voices out for all to hear. Just go to the website, The Lost Art with Andrew Cox, and click on the Become a Patron link. Any donation is appreciated. If you would like to be a guest on our podcast and tell your story, then email me at thelostartwithandrewcox at gmail.com. Again, that's the lost art with Andrew Cox at gmail.com. All right, without further ado, please welcome back Zach Roberts. Zach, how you doing? Doing good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Doing fantastic. So uh, the last time we were talking, we were coming to the close of your uh, career when it came to your active duty time. So yeah. uh, why don't we go ahead and start there, that transition going from active duty uh, back to the civilian populace. For sure. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think I closed last time by saying, you know, overall my, my four years was, uh, it was, is very short. Although, you know, at the time being so young, it, it felt like it was just dragging on. And, you know, you get to that point, um, where you're about, you know, that three, three and a half year mark, um, and you kind of start thinking and people start asking you, well, are you going to reenlist or, Right. Are you going to go and get out and everything? And so that, that was weighing on my mind quite heavily. And I, I really wasn't quite sure what I was going to do yet. Um, but at that, at that time, I was more leaning towards getting out. Um, but, uh, so me and, uh, my buddy, I think you probably remember Ryan Jones, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember him. So him and I got this great idea that we were going to, um, uh, well, we went to this, they, the depot had like this job fair for Marines right. and, uh, you know, it was basically just other rock fields and stuff like looking for, um, people cause they were short. Right. And at the time MSG duty was like super low apparently. Right. So we ended up running into the guys that were, um, you know, uh, hiring for that. And they were like all about us. They, they wanted us so bad. I think I think Ryan and I had like packages all set to go, like getting approved for top secret clearances and stuff within like a few weeks. It was, oh, wow. I mean, it was so quick. And then, um, you know, we, we both submitted them and we, we didn't hear anything and we're like, well, man, is stuff like good to go or not. And then, um, you know, I think I got pulled into, um, <laughs> uh, chief warrant officer, uh, Davis's office at one point, you know, and he's like, you're, you're about, I forget how many points I was shy on my audition score or something in order to actually go and do MSG duty. So oh, I, right, I, yeah. I basically got 
denied because of that. And I was like, well, that sucks. Like, cause I, my intentions were not to come back to the band field. I wanted to go and see the rest of the Marine Corps and, you know, do that sort of thing. Right. Um, so with that, I was like, man, so I, my options are basically to, you know, stay here and go to another band and pretty much do the same thing I've been doing, uh, which, you know, it was fun traveling and everything like that. Um, going and meeting different people and kind of the special jobs that you get to do. Um, but I, I wanted something. I want to go and see the rest of Marine Corps. That didn't happen. So I decided, you know, I'm going to get out and I'm going to go back to college right. uh, and use my GI bill, which, you know, at the time that thing was pretty brand new at the time. So you got, you know, it's a four full year ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and they pay for your books, your tuition, and you can go in it, any school. doesn't matter. Oh, wow. It's, it's all covered. Um, so I did that. I, I, uh, got out and I started going to college right away. I was going down to national university in um, in San Diego there, which it was more of like a part-time school. So I was doing like three days a week per se. Um, and I started going for nursing right away. Okay. And the whole nursing thing, I was, I, I, uh, I remember we were on, um, we were on tour up in Chicago and there was this, we were driving on the interstate going into like downtown and there was this accident that was on the interstate and this uh, motorcyclist had got hit by a car. Mm. And so it was me and a few of the other Marines and we got out and we kind of go up there and there's people standing around this guy, but no one's doing anything to help him. Oh, wow. And I'm just like, you guys got to be kidding me. Like someone's got to know, you know, be a nurse, something like that. Well, so I go up there and I just kind of start helping them. And, you know, I mean, we get the kind of basic combat medical training that you get in boot camp. And really that's about it. But, you know, so I go up there and I'm talking to the guy and surprisingly, you know, he's coherent and everything. And I think his name was Mike, if I remember right. Um, okay. But we were like talking about his family and stuff. And I just see this big pool of blood next to him. Right. But I, I couldn't see where the heck he was bleeding from. Huh. It was the weirdest thing. Um, so, you know, and I think paramedics and fire and stuff, they showed up probably within, it was like five, ten minutes, but there was so much traffic. Right. Um, but it was pretty much from that point on that I kind of decided I want to do something in like the nursing field. So that's what drew me to this. I got you. Um, okay. So I was doing nursing, uh, and then I lived back out in San Diego for another year with, uh, Austin Jones. Uh, so we had an apartment together. Uh, it, it was good times. I'm pretty sure you probably remember him, don't you? Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> Great I, I guy. Sure uh, we had some very fun times together. Um, and, uh, so we were living together and, uh, I was pretty much just going to college and doing what, uh, you know, a, uh, Marine that was freshly discharged honorably <laughs> does what in their off time, pretty much just go out, party, hang out at the beaches, hang out with friends. Cause I, you know, throughout my time, I made a lot of friends outside of the Marine Corps too out there, which, um, kind of helped that transition out. Right. Um, you know, you hear a lot of veterans, uh, talk about like having some issues assimilating back into, uh, human society afterwards. Right. Um, and I should just say society in general. Um, and for me, it really wasn't all that hard because I had friends that were outside of the military. Um, 
you know, and they were really good friends. Like we hung out almost on a daily basis, right. you know, just going and doing different things, whether it was going to the gym, going to the beach, going out at night, um, you know, so that helped. And I'm very thankful for that too. Um, you yeah, know, it's cause always, it's I, always good. And like, uh, and you know, I try to tell people this too, is like, while you're active duty, don't just hone in on just your military friends. Although that's going to be a big part of what you do. Uh, you need to venture out as well and make friends on the civilian side. And, and that way you have contacts, you have people that can help you and, and you just have kind of a better way forward once you get out. So you were doing it the right way the whole time, uh, making sure that you, you had, you know, a different, different way of approaching things once you got out. Yeah. And I, you know, and it, it's funny how that just kind of naturally happened. Um, cause I was the, like the shyest kid ever in high school. I, I would, I wouldn't really like talk to anyone. I had my like, my solid group of a handful of friends. And then, you know, I just kind of kept to myself for the most part, but then right. the Marine Corps, like that's another way it changed my life. Like <laughs> I probably would never be doing this, it, like talking to you right now, doing this podcast, if I hadn't gone through the Marine Corps and, you know, you get that new confidence level and you basically, you become just a whole new person in general. Yeah. Um, yeah very true. You know, but uh, yeah, having those, those friends, um, you know, through that were off base that, you know, when, once Liberty sounded, I could, leave base and go and hang out with them and just kind of clear your mind of, you know, some of the stressors that go on in the military and stuff Um, that helped a lot. And I I think that's, you know, what some veterans unfortunately didn't have. um, And that's can, you know, kind of set some of them down, you know, kind of a wrong path. You know, Mm -hmm. there's still a lot of homeless veterans out there. And I always kind of wonder, it's like, where did they get off the beaten path? Like what happened when they transitioned out or in their lives that, you know, um, landed them in the place where they are now. Yeah, absolutely. And those are, those are good questions. You know, uh, I want to get somebody from like the VA, uh, on a podcast eventually to talk about, uh, some of those things. Uh, yeah. you know, they, they see a wide variety of, uh, individuals that come through and everything and kind of maybe give their insight on some of that, because that, that is something that's very, a very uh interesting thing like what what happens to an individual you know some people get out and very successful some people get out and they struggle you know what's the difference you know how does that work is it is it something that you did in the military versus something that you know what you did when you got out Uh, it's very interesting stuff there oh for sure for sure you know i uh, it's it's a very good question and i some of it still kind of puzzles me honestly but uh you know what i mean I used yeah. to work at the VA and we'll, we'll kind of get there here in a few minutes too. And, um, but you know, yeah, I, so for that first year going to college, um, you know, and then just hanging out with friends and doing that sort of thing for that first year. And, and it was great fun and everything. And then I, I kind of got to the point where I was like, um, you know, California is great. San Diego. I absolutely love San Diego. Um, but it, you start to see how expensive things are, <laughs> especially out in California. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> you know, so I, I, I eventually got to the point where I, I started realizing that, but, uh, you know, I probably should also go into more detail. So there was a couple other things I was doing on the side besides going to school. I, um, so if we go back to the Pleasanton, uh, the Highland games, I actually, I met an actress there. Her name's Louise Linton. Well, now it's Louise Nuchin. She married Stephen Nuchin, the, um, former secretary of the treasury for the U S. Okay. Um, so I met her and 
she was like, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And, you know, I told her I had given thought to acting. She's like, well, what is, you know, what's stopping you from doing that? And I said, well, I just, I don't know where the heck to begin. It's yeah. uncharted territory. And, you know, it's very hard for people. I knew it was very, very hard for people to get to where they wanted to be. So we, we communicated, I mean, we still communicate today. Um, I still very have, nice. you know, we still text each other and keep in touch with each other, even though she's like, you know, I think over Christmas we communicated a little bit and she was sending me pictures of her newborn um, daughter and she's like, Oh, I'm in Scotland or, or, you know, I'm on my way to Scotland right now. I'm like, Oh man, I'm just wow. sitting here in good old little, little old town, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> you know, she, uh, she, she taught me, you know, what I needed to do, the type of resume I would need and um, you know, to go and take some acting classes and recommended one of her acting coaches out to me. Um, so every Tuesday I would drive from San Diego to Los Angeles and go to acting classes for about half the day. And then I drive back down, which it's about a three hour drive one way, depending on how traffic is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was doing that and then I got myself a manager and then I ended up getting, uh, to do a feature film, uh, it was called Phantom 2013. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was about a, a Russian submarine that went rogue. And so oh, wow. that had uh, Ed Harris, William Fickner, mm -hmm. David Duchovny, Sean Patrick Flannery, all those guys were in it. I don't know if you know who any of them oh, are, yeah. but um, so I was a paid extra on that and I ended up getting a couple SAG vouchers, which for those that don't know, it's they're basically your pay stubs and you need three of them to get into the Screen Actors Guild. So I was one away. All right. And so we filmed this actually right down, um, you know, where the horn blower would be in San Diego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we filmed it right down there. There's actually a, it's a submarine down there that's a museum. Okay. Which I didn't even know about. Um, so they use that as that a movie either. set. I, I know they had the the big ship that's there. Um, yeah. I didn't know about a submarine. So it, it's like right by the midway. It's um, it's more of like there's that other ship that kind of looks like a pirate ship. I can't remember what it was called though. Yeah. Um, but it was like right hidden right there. Hmm. That's really so cool. we did this there and it was just interesting because the two other guys that I got paired with, you know, we, we were basically just acting as sailors up on top of the submarine. And um, I was, I was told I, okay, like get up there, you know, and you're going to go all the way out to the front of the submarine. And this thing's you get up there and you look down and there's obviously nothing but water. Yeah. And I'm like, this, this is a little high, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm walking out and there's this very narrow walkway that you walk down uh, the middle of this thing. And you know, this, this thing's a museum and I don't think they typically let people walk out on this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, because the, the metal grating was actually so rusted out that our feet started breaking through and getting caught. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, this is, this really isn't good. So I'm trying to kind of scoot onto the outer edges of it and walk the distance to get out there. But I was fine with it. Um, and then, you know, you, they call action and they're like, you know, you're going to catch this rope. So they throw this big rope up to you and you got to catch it and just act like you're basically putting it somewhere. Right. Um, because they're basically putting the submarine into, into, into the dock. Gotcha. So, you know, we go with this throughout the night. And then one of the guys that I was kind of working with, he started raising a 
a fuss about, you know, our feet busting through the grate. Well, right. he was already part of the Screen Actors Guild, so he called one of the SAG reps down, and I had no idea what this meant or anything. But mm-hmm. apparently he ruffled some feathers and some made some people not too happy because all of a sudden, I mean, it was good for us because we got hazard paid bumps, I guess, so we got more money. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, but so I got done with my second day of filming and I go to kind of the trailer you go to, to check out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the guy was like, if, if, you know, if, if you ever bring that guy on one of our sets again, we're basically going to blacklist you. And I'm like, I don't even know the guy. This is the first time I've ever met him. And we just worked <laughs> a few hours together tonight. I said, don't blame me for whatever he did. Cause I, <laughs> I'm not with him. Yeah. <laughs> And I was just like, man, like, that's cutthroat. Like, you know, you raise crap on a movie set and it's like, that's it. <laughs> wow. That's insane. But that was, it was a really good experience. And, uh, you know, to do something that I had, you know, you get out of the Marine Corps and it's like, you're, you're going for a goal. Right. And just not really knowing how to get there. But then you have these kind of pieces that fall into place and then you just kind of take off with it. When someone you know, like Louise, you know, she sent me down this path of, you know, do these things and do this. And then everything just kind of started falling together. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started falling together for me pretty quick because right after I did that, I did a, a short film for a graduate student at SDSU. Um, and that got it turned into its own DVD. So I had a small role in that, played a speaking role. Um, nice. And I got a copy of that. I still have it. And to kind of like see, you know, your face on the back page of it, it's like just having a piece of that um, to like be like, hey, you know, I did this. Yeah, um, yeah that's really cool. So those three things kind of ended my time in San Diego. Um, you know, I like I said, I started realizing how expensive things were out there and I was having an amazing time doing acting. I just I was like, if I'm going to continue to do something like this, I would like to have a plan B just in case something doesn't work out. So I said, all right, I'm going to move back home and I'm going to go to college in Wisconsin. And, um, you know, if, if, if it all works out, I'll come back to San Diego and I'll come back to acting, acting later. So I came back home and I started pursuing nursing at, um, Edgewood college for a while. Okay. And Edgewood's great. Um, but I suck at math and I suck at chemistry. I tried everything to try to learn how to do both. I went before class after I stayed after class for both statistics and chemistry. And I still C's get degrees. That's all I'm going to say. Cause that's, that's what I got. <laughs> that's okay. Um, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> there's a reason there's a C. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, my, uh, my advisor, she was like, you know, if you're going to do nursing, you've got to have better grades than C's. I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, well, this ain't looking good. So I kind of started thinking to myself, I'm like, what else can I do that I know I'd be happy with and good at? And it was actually my grandfather who, um, he's like, you know, why don't you become a surgical technologist? And I'm like, what the heck is that? What, you know, what is this thing? And yeah. so I did some research on it. Um, you know, and I found out that it's basically you're the guy that was responsible for all the surgical instruments and you hand them to all the doctors during surgery. And I said, that kind of sounds cool. Yeah. So I shifted gears and switched colleges and um, I uh, started going to school for that. 
And at the same time, I also ended up uh, auditioning for um, Raymond Software. And this is going back to more acting stuff, but I uh, auditioned to be in a video game. I didn't know what video game it was at the time. So they just, um, they were like, here's a rubber rifle and we want you to act like you're on patrol. Hmm. Like, oh, this brings back memories. Yeah. Well, I did everything just how they wanted to. I think they called me back like the next day and they're like, hey, um, when do you, when can you come and do some work for us? And I kind of told them my class times and everything and they worked around that. Um, and, you know, so I go up to Raven Software. I think I was working up there for a few weeks. Um, and they brought me into this giant room that looked like a gymnasium and it had all these infrared cameras around it. And they're like, have you ever done motion capture before? And I said, no. Um, but I think I know what you're talking about. And so basically you just get into this suit and it has all these little like gray balls all over the place, like on all your joints and everything. Yeah. And so you it kind of look tracks up, your movements and what you're doing then. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, so, and they finally told us, they're like, Hey, you know, we're working on call of duty. And I said, what? It's like, that's kind of cool. Um, so I did that for a few weeks and, um, you know, got to do some more acting here at home, which I never even thought would be a possibility. Right. I uh, never, I mean, it's Wisconsin. There's, let's face it. There's not much here. There's cheese, beer, and, uh, cheese curds, deep fried cheese curds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, which by the way, very good. Very good. Yeah. They are good. Especially if they squeak in your mouth that then they're like fresh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So I finished up with uh, Call of Duty and uh, they, you know, they pay pretty good. And then uh, you get a copy of it and kind of get to, you know, you play through it and uh, you can actually find out like we had like specific levels we were assigned to. So I could, you know, get to that level and be like, hey, you know, I did that or that was me. And oh, well, that's really cool. I played I played the role of an enemy that fell off or got gets shot in the head and has to uh, basically fall off this balcony. Oh, wow. And in reality, it was just me uh, tumbling over this bar onto a mat. <laughs> but in the game, it's like you're falling 30 feet. Yeah. So I, it was, you know, that's it's kind of cool to do that stuff. And then just, uh, you know, like I said, none of it would have been possible with um, without like Louise's help. And then also just kind of the fundamentals you learn in the Marine Corps about, um, you know, just you keep pushing forward. Mm -hmm. Um, and just having that, that drive and that, you know, that, that spirit to just keep going and do what it is that needs to get done to get right. to where you want to be. Yeah. Um, so let's see. Yeah. So switched from Edgewood, went to Madison, uh, uh, Madison college, uh, for my search tech stuff. Um, you know, and, and that, that career I did for three years, uh, and it was, very it's a very interesting career it's very uh rewarding and there's a lot of blood yeah yeah i imagine i mean you're you're in surgery right you're right next yep. to the dock as they're cutting on people and stuff yeah um the it really gives you a new respect for just how much the human body can put up with mm -hmm. and how much stress it can deal with um you know i mean like when we're in boot camp and you know you're going through kind of the physical stressors now you get to this point where 
you get to see everyone's internal organs. And I mean, we're all created the same with some minute differences between male and female, obviously. Yeah. But we all have the same organs. They're all in the same places for the most part. Um, you know, and now it was getting to see just how much a human body can actually withstand until it just can't take anymore and tanks out. Um, so I, I worked at UW hospital in Madison, which is a level one trauma facility. I worked there for two years. I specialized in uh, vascular surgery and liver transplant specifically, but because it's a level one trauma facility, you also learn how to do pretty much every other surgery that there is. Right. And then we didn't just do liver transplants. We also did kidney transplants, uh, pancreas transplants, wow. you name it. And then any organ donations that will go on, we would also go in, harvest the organs from somebody yeah. um, and do all that too. Uh, but yeah. I mainly specialed in vascular. Yeah. Now you were telling me a story uh, when we were talking uh, previously about um, a certain transplant. I can't remember what it was, uh, but uh, another country does it and they take half of somebody's, was it the liver? Is that what, what was it? Yeah. Uh, so Turkey, uh, they, they don't believe in deceased donor transplants. Right. Um, they don't, they don't like taking whole organs from dead bodies basically. So mm -hmm. they do live donor, uh, liver transplants over there. So they basically, they cut your liver in half mm -hmm. for those that don't know the liver is the only organ in the human body that can actually heal itself. Wow. Um, just depending on how much you drink and tax it. Mm -hmm. so disclaimer yeah doesn't mean yeah. that you don't go out and drink yourself to death because people do mm -hmm. um, but they they cut the liver in half and then they give that half to you know the recipient the person that needs it uh and then they those two people can go on about their happy way and uh you know be happy yeah, and healthy it regenerates and, and then it's uh both of them end up with a full one at some point in time yep yep that's correct that's amazing. Um, but, and how in the world, like who ever thought of all that stuff? That's, that stuff is amazing to me. Yeah, I, I I couldn't even tell you. It's it's so bizarre. Uh, you know, like I said, like you just it gives you a really a new appreciation for just like how precious our our bodies are. And yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and how much they can take. But, you know, on a moment's notice, like stuff can just all of a sudden go south and that's it. Like your time's up. Um, yeah. I had the unfortunate um, a couple unfortunate times when we lost a couple patients on the OR table, we were mm -hmm. doing, um, uh, abdominal aortic aneurysm repairs. So, um, basically the aorta is your main artery that kind of runs straight down the center mm -hmm. of your body from your heart. And right. people get this big old bulge in it, which is called an aneurysm and it's a weakening. And if you don't take care of it, it's like a ticking time bomb. So mm -hmm. as soon as it, dissects or splits if you will um you're you're dead there's nothing you can do and it's you won't even know it and you're just you're gone wow so we i had one patient that we were doing this on and we were in the middle of like sewing in the graft and that's basically think of it like pvc pipe okay um just sewing it from one end of the aorta to the other and we're looking up at her blood pressures in one minute they're fine the next minute she's gone. Like everything just flat lines. And it's just like, that's crazy. Like everything was fine. Like, and, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, I, I believe in God. I don't know if, if, if you do or whatever, yeah, but do, for sure. Yeah. It's just crazy. It's like, you know, did she just decide like, no, this is my time. Like, I don't want to go through the surgery and just mm -hmm. decide that this was it. 
you know? So it, that was the first time I'd actually ever seen someone like die. And I mean, it wasn't like they were all, obviously they were under anesthesia, mm -hmm. but clinically and everything they're, they're dead and they're not coming back. Yeah. So being around that for the first time was kind of weird. Um, you know, and of course you get out of there and everyone asks like, you know, are you okay? And I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm fine. But I'll yeah. tell you this, it's very different when it's someone that's not your own family or you're not your own friends. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's very different. So I, you know, and I, I approach that with just kind of, you know, that kind of Marine mentality of, you know, this happened, but we need to keep pushing forward. You need to keep going. Yeah. Um, you know, and, you know, it ended up happening again. Same, same type of case, um, except this time the there's a clamp that we clamp the aorta off to stop the blood flow so the person doesn't bleed out well this right. time the clamp slipped off oh, um, wow. obviously not my doing but it, it happened right uh, and the person just bled out mm. so very very bloody cases yeah. um i well, was sorry I, oh. I, I was gonna say uh now on your your end now marines you know they go to combat they they deal with stressful situations and and they see a lot of uh injuries and things of that nature right uh yep. they come back uh many get ptsd and and they struggle with those types of things and it, it is changing the atmosphere in the military is changing from the you know when you were in and and when i first came in it was more of a you don't go to medical right uh you're weak if you go to medical uh, oh, yeah. Whereas now it's that that whole thing is kind of shifting where it's, hey, go get help, go and, you know, seek out some help, you know. Uh, now, is that something that uh, that you struggled with at some point in time when you were dealing with all those types of things? Uh, no, not really. I mean, obviously, like in the moment where, you know, like if you can tell a patient's like dying and yeah. you're trying to save them, it, it does get really stressful. Um, you know, we had we had a trauma come in one night and it was this, this, uh, this little, I think he, he was probably right. Like 14, 15 years old. He couldn't have been any older, hmm. uh, any older than that. And he had gotten stepped on by a cow Oof. Yeah. and his liver was lacerated and he was actively like bleeding and they couldn't stop it. Right. And we get him into the trauma room and stuff. And thank God the, the liver transplant doctors that I normally work with were actually doing a liver transplant in another room. So I quick ran down there. And I said, Hey, you guys got to get to the trauma room like now, like this kid's about to die. And they actually stopped doing the transplant they were doing. Wow. Um, the patient was stable and anesthesia could stay there and maintain them, even mm -hmm. though they were, you know, wide open. So they come into the trauma room and the kid's like crashing. I think we've shocked them like three or four times. Oh my gosh. And they're like, we need all of our transplant pans. And I said, we don't. I don't think we have any more. They're going to have to come from downstairs and the OR at UW, it's huge. Yeah. So I started, they, they crank up the temperature in the room to about a hundred degrees. So it's, it's hot, you're sweating. And mm -hmm. the next thing I know I'm sprinting back and forth between st the sterile processing elevator and the trauma room, which are at complete opposite ends of the OR, Oh wow. you know, and then just carrying these heavy pans back and forth and literally sprinting. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you get in there and us as techs, when stuff gets really crazy, we'll scrub in two to one case. So there's two of us per one case. So 
right. I started scrubbing in to help with stuff uh, and get stuff set up because the tech that was in there at the time, she didn't really know all the transplant pans. Gotcha. And I did. So, I mean, it, it all just kind of goes in a blur. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think, was probably one of the most stressful times for me. There's been plenty of other times where, you know, um, people are bleeding out and it's like, we got to stop that bleeding. But it's weird because once you get the hang of it, and you know what the doctors are going to do. You can start anticipating what they need and stuff. So it yeah. just makes things easier. But I would say that, you know, and not, not ever deploying and not ever really been in like, you know, a, a gunfight per se. Right. I don't know if I can speak to that being the same type of stress because I think there's that, you know, there's that like fog of war that they go through right. over there. And you know, I, I don't want to assume things, but I will say that I think that the stress and stuff is probably different. Um, okay. And, I, you know, I've got my couple really good friends of mine uh, that I talked about way at the beginning, uh, mm-hmm. Jake and Justin, and they both went in the Marine Corps just like I did. Actually, I was able to play at their graduation ceremony while I was at MBSD for both of them. Oh, that's pretty cool. That was cool because then obviously I met up with them afterwards and we, you know, went out to eat and everything and yeah. to see their families again and like, hey, we're all Marines now, you know, it was, yeah, yeah. It was very cool. Um, they both, so my buddy Justin, he was a mortarman and Jake was motor T and they both did deployments over in Afghanistan. Right. Um, and I almost lost them as friends uh, here quite, it's been quite a while now, but they both had some sort of PTSD and we had a falling out, uh, mm-hmm. bo- both of them. And I was just shocked. And I'm like, you know, something obviously happened over there mm-hmm. and they're not doing well over here, but they ended up getting help. And then they both came back to me and were like apologizing. Yeah. And so, and I mean, now we're the best of friends again, but there's something over there that happens to, you know, to some of them. And I, I don't know what it is. So I, I'm not going to speak to it. I, you know, if you have someone that that's able to speak on it, I would love to hear their story. Yeah. Um, yeah. but that's just something I don't think I'm going to touch. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Uh, you know, I, when I was deployed, I, I, I saw quite a bit of like mortar attacks and, and individuals that, that got hurt and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say like I was, you know, in any gunfights or anything like that. But, you know, I, I saw my fair share of blood while I was there. Uh, yeah. And I will tell you my experience when I came back, uh, I did have some PTSD from it. And uh, and my wife told me for years and years, hey, you, you need to go talk to somebody, go talk to somebody. Uh, and I eventually did, you know, and, and recently within the last couple of years type of deal. And I finally did. I went and talked to somebody, talked to Doc, you know, uh, and it, it helped me out tremendously. Um, so I, I would just advocate for anybody that's out there. If you're going through a hard time, you know, take the steps to, to go to medical, go, go to the VA. Uh, the VA has a website. I talked about that on my last uh, uh, fireside check uh, thing. It was basically a safety brief is what I said it was. <laughs> I went down the, uh, the uh, VA website uh, and it was the crisis hotline. Uh, so, I mean, go to those websites and, and you know, call the numbers, it's 988, and then you press one after, you know, if you're having issues, you know, go get help, go, you know, and it, I will tell you from my experience, it helped me tremendously. I know several individuals that, that uh, going to medical and getting that help has helped them out as well. 
but don't just continue holding on to it because it's, it's just going to pile on more and more and more. Um, so, you know, and suicide is a big thing, you know, was it 22 veterans a day is what they say, um, yeah. committing suicide. So, and th- obviously we want to try and stay away from that. Uh, and I just encourage people go out and, and, and get that help that they need, you know, same thing in, in what you're dealing with and your uh, when you were doing the medical stuff and, you know, those, those first responders and all those people that have to deal with that, you know, I imagine that eventually it's going to wear on you, uh, it, you know, if you do it long enough and continuously and stuff like that. Um, oh, yeah. Same yeah, thing actually for those just, guys. Uh, Go get help. Yeah. Yeah. Last year, um, you know, we had a we had an incident that actually it did affect me finally. And I, you know, when I was doing surgery and everything, it didn't matter how much blood I saw and stuff. I, I really didn't ever have one case that kind of, you know, pushed me over the edge. Um, you know what I mean? I was cutting off yeah. people's legs and you name it, I was doing it. Um, but so, you know, I, uh, I did, I was a tech for three years and mm-hmm. I, my third year I did at the VA. So I was working with on all the veterans and stuff. And that was very rewarding because I felt like I was giving back to them. Yeah. 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 Um, and then after, after that, I, I had this, this thought because I was like, well, I, I don't think I want to do this forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mainly it was the administration part of things, um, with the hospitals that I didn't care for and that, uh, some of the doctors, they, they lose their sense of being a person after a while. Yeah. Um, we'll just yeah. say they're, they're very special people. Some of the doctors I absolutely loved. Some of them I absolutely hated because they just, it's like, who the heck are you? I, there's no there's no human aspect in it it becomes more of robotic or i'm just here to you know facilitate something right exactly exactly and you know and then they start blaming you for their own issues during the case and all i'm doing is handing them the tools yeah (laughs) but (laughs) see how that would be frustrating oh yeah yeah um but anyway so i i i went on a ride along uh with a buddy of mine who was a police officer and after that ride along, I said, you know, I think this is really what I want to do. And this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And we hadn't even gotten to COVID yet or any of the craziness with the whole George Floyd thing. Mm -hmm. None of that happened yet. So, you know, as far as law enforcement at this time, they were still pretty much the pretty respected for the most part. Right. Um, so I decided, you know, I'm going to go and be, uh, I'm going to go and be a cop. So I, I quit, put in my two weeks at the VA and I uh, started at the police Academy like two weeks after that here back in 2019. Okay. Um, and the police Academy, it's, it's a semester long. Mm-hmm. Some people think that it's a boot camp. Yeah. I could see where people would say that. However, <laughs> for me, I was laughing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had a lot of fun with it, to be honest. Um, you know, and I, I helped some people th- get through it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we're having some issues and it wasn't really with, you know, the mental part of it, but some people just needed some help with like the firearms and the right. fit, physical fitness stuff. Um, but uh, I got to ask you something. Do you remember getting OC'd? Oh God, do I ever? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> it's a so... very unpleasant thing. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if I would wish that on my worst enemy. I'll be honest. It was horrible. I, I remember watching you go through that that day and till, still to this day. And I'm like, how tall are you again? Uh, six one. 
You're six. Yeah, I'm five nine, and I I remember watching you just like not have a good time with it. Like, oh yeah, I was like, "Oh, he's hurting, and he's hurting bad." <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. Now I don't know it because I I did it twice. Uh, so the first time I did it, it had to have been when you were there. It was the first time. Yeah. And uh, so I went to the, like the next year, two years later, something like that. I was uh, I was out there, and they were like. Uh, everyone's complaining, oh, you know, this sucks, and da, da 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 And I was like, you guys are just being weak. So I was like, I'll just do it again, whatever. And so I, I did it again, uh, and not like the level two, right, where they wipe something on you. No, I yeah. did the level one. They spray it in your or on your forehead or whatever. And, yeah, I immediately regretted the decision as soon as that <laughs> I was like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I made it through, uh, but it was not pleasant. So, and this is a little did I know that in the police academy, uh, yeah, you, uh, you got to get sprayed again. <laughs> they didn't care how many times I had done it in the past. They're like, yeah, you got to get sprayed. And uh, the course that you have to run after you get sprayed, it's worse than it was in the Marines. Oh yeah. I imagine so. <laughs> so, um, police academy was fun, you know, getting old seat. I still hate it too. I've been sprayed a handful of times now. Um, and it never gets any easier. No. But I've I've just kind of figured out a magic formula to get it out of my eyes right away. Dawn dish soap and okay. uh and water. But that's good to know. So for anybody out there that has to get OC sprayed, uh you say Dawn dishwashing soap and water. It's gotta be Dawn, because Dawn is uh heavy on getting the oils off your skin. Mm-hmm. So you don't don't put the Dawn in your eyes. That's right. not gonna be good. You just put the Dawn on your skin to get the oil, oils from the capsaicin and all that stuff. Get that off your skin. Yeah. And then just wash your eyes out excessively with water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I will tell you, um, if nobody hones in on anything that you've said, that part right there, very important. So if you're getting OC sprayed, you know, do that. (laughs) Do that. If there's anything you care about, just remember that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so got through the police academy and I ended up working, um, for my local sheriff's office for a year and a half. I worked down in the jail dealing with, um, you know, Southern Wisconsin's finest criminals. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I, Hey, well, let's go back to pro- the jail thing real quick. Uh, oh, sure. What did you have any, uh, tense moments or anything like that, uh, with, uh, inmates? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. All the time, you know, they try to, they try to get away with anything and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they, and it's crazy because, you know, nowadays they get like TV, mm-hmm. uh, they get, you know, three hots and a cot, uh, they get books, uh, they can write letters. I mean, they have a lot of freedom nowadays yeah. uh, compared to how things used to be. Um, you know, and they, They'll always yell at you, scream at you, bang on the door, tell them, yeah. you know, they'll tell you, they'll threaten you, they'll threaten to go and kill your family or, oh, wow. um, you know, do whatever. And it's like, well, you don't know me, you don't know where I live, so yeah. whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, so there's, there is that aspect of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, as long as you respected them, they yeah. respected you. Like I, even now being an officer in my hometown, um, after my year and a half in the jail, I've been with my local department now for it'll be three years in May. Okay. 
um, I've seen people that I dealt with down in the jail and not a single one of them were like, you know, F you, you know, I, I hated you in the jail. I'm not going to deal with you now. Like I'm going to yeah. fight you, whatever. A lot of them actually would shake my hand. Oh, no kidding. Um, you know, so there was kind of this just kind of mutual respect, like, Hey, you know, you jacked up, you're here, you know why you're here and mm -hmm. leave it at that, you know, but yeah, you do still have the people that they just have no respect for law enforcement or whatever, yeah. and they're going to hate you no matter what. Yeah. 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 yeah well, um, I mean, at least you've learned, uh, you know, you're very respectful of people and, you know, I've, I've known you for a little while and, and what I know of you, you're very respectful. So and you're right that goes a long ways no matter what what you're in it doesn't matter if you're a cop if you're you know a military whatever it doesn't matter if you show respect people show respect back to you oh yeah oh yeah big time big time um you know and i'll go back to now that we've kind of caught up with kind of the tail end of things on my end here mm -hmm. uh you know you'd asked the question earlier about um you know the whole ptsd and having like any sort of like stressful situations and surgery yeah. and stuff. And yes, it, like I said, it does get stressful, but, uh, particularly here, uh, last January. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're about a year ago now. Um, okay. so I, I was also a volunteer firefighter for my hometown for quite a while too. Um, okay. I stopped doing that here last June. Okay. Um, so I was on duty one night and I had just gotten home from lunch or I, I just got home to eat lunch. Right. And um, I got a call and they said there is someone that went down at the gym. Uh, he is not conscious, but he's breathing. OK. And I'm thinking, OK, that's not good. So I, you know, light sirens go over there and uh, pull out my med bag from the back of the SUV. And, you know, I had been to a lot of we call them PMBs, pulseless non-breathers. Yeah. Um, and none of them phased me. You know, I've had a bunch of people die on me at this point mm -hmm. um, or not come back or to the point where we don't even give any shocks to them. They're just gone. Right. You know, but they're still warm. They're not even cold. <clears throat> um, and the guy comes out of Anytime Fitness and he's like, hey, you need to get in here now. Like this guy's not he's not looking good. And I'm like, OK, you know, it's it's fine. I'm here. It's, it's going to be OK. And I get in the door and I see who's laying on the floor and I'm like, oh, crap, that's like, that's my fire chief. Oh, dang. And um, he's actually family to me, um, mm -hmm. like legit family. So things like a switch flipped and I went from zero to like a million and I just start your training kicks in and I can go all the way back to every again everything you learn in boot camp mm -hmm. everything you learn in the military this is this is when now including all my medical training that i learned this is when everything kicks in and yeah. i mean it's like i said it's different when it's family so you're down there and you're like rushing right and yeah. i i remember pulling the aed out of my bag and the little tiny specific details that I remember are just nuts because I can remember the smell of his vomit being on the floor because wow. uh, he was he was aspirating bad. Mm -hmm. And I remember trying to flip the AED cover open. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get the darn thing open. And the mm -hmm. trainer had already started CPR. And he was I was like, you got one over there. Let's just use yours. And I'm still flipping 
the darn plastic piece trying to get this thing open. And finally it opens up and I said, no, wait, you stay on the chest. I'm going to get this thing going. So, you know, we cut his shirt off and I get the pads on him, get the AED on and it finally calls for a shock. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is good. That means there's still something there. Yeah. So we give him one shock. Nothing happens. And I'm like, all right, get back on the chest. So I'm honoring the AED. Um, and, you know, here a few minutes later, now all of a sudden EMS and my fire department starts showing up and they don't know who it is yet. So EMS gets there and they put, we have this, uh, it's called a Lucas machine. I don't, have you ever yeah, heard of it? I've heard of it. I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I have heard of it. So all it does is it does compressions for you. So, okay. so you don't have to do them. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. very effective because it's a machine, right? So it yeah, does you're, not, the, you're not getting more out doing it yourself, right? Exactly. Right. Exactly. So you're, you're delivering maximum quality CPR to somebody yeah. uh, with this machine. So we get that on them that takes over. And now all my, you know, firefighters start rolling in and I look up and I'm like, Oh God, this ain't going to be good. Mm-hmm. So I just start like going over to everybody, including my chief's brother, who is just like, he's just standing there and staring. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, told him, I said, you know, we're working on them. They're working on them. Just, he's like, you got to go and, you know, um, deal with, deal with his wife and stuff who obviously I know very well. Yeah. And that, that night, everything kind of hit me bad. Um, so if you want to the whole like kind of PTSD thing after that, I couldn't sleep for probably like two or three days straight. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's literally the exactly what PTSD is, right? Uh, stressful yeah. situations and, and things that uh, affect you mentally as you're you're uh, dealing with it. So yeah, 100% PTSD. Yeah, I mean it, it. And it was just weird because up until then, up until that point, I was like, you know, there's not a lot of stuff that really phases me. Mm-hmm. Well, that that night it did, and it, it it got me so much to the point where I was still supposed to work for another like three. I think it was like three or four hours after all this happened, mm-hmm. and um the sheriff's department, a few of the deputies that I used to work with when I was there, they actually ended up coming down. And, um, one of them stayed with me outside cause I, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. Uh, he turned off my body camera and he's like, you're done. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're not working the rest of tonight. Um, so my, our new chief, we just got a new chief. He, had, I called him and I was like, you got to come down here. Um, I was the only one on, so mm-hmm. I needed, I needed people. So I called my chief, he came down and then our, our school resource officer, she was actually up teaching a class and I called her and I said, you got to get out of that class and you got to come down here right now. Yeah. Um, so I got people down there and yeah, I, I didn't work the rest of the night, um, that night. Wow. And it's just crazy because in the last, so like, man, we've lost, we lost our chief and when we've lost about two or three other firefighters from our department within like the last three years, three, four no, years, yeah, it's older, been one every 18 months. The older individuals or middle, middle aged, like really? two died from cancer. Mm. Um, one was actually killed uh, by a drunk driver when he was trying to help somebody out on a belt line on New Year's Eve a few years back. Yeah. And then now our chief. So I said, my firefighting days are over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now I just, you know, I worry about the the police side of things. Um, and this job, it's, it's very, 
it's very stressful now, mm-hmm. uh, especially with everything that's happened in these last few years. Oh yeah. Um, but it's also very rewarding and I'm fortunate enough to work where I do because we don't, we still have a decent community that supports us, but we, we also do get the riffraff from, you know, our interstate that's right here in town. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's, there's, there's definitely those days where I'm like stressed out to the max and you're dealing with a, we call them a no person. Yeah. And they, it doesn't matter what you tell them. They're just, they're going to fight you and yeah. do whatever. Um, you know, so I, you know, and I, I know we're kind of getting close to that hour here, so I'll, I'll start oh, kind of, don't worry about it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, you know, this, the whole, my whole career, like in the Marine Corps doing the four years and then all my healthcare stuff and everything, um, my acting and then being a cop now, there's absolutely no way, uh, without a doubt that I would have been able to do any of this if it weren't for the Marine Corps. Yeah. Um, you know, and it doesn't really matter what you do in the Marine Corps, like your, your, your job per se, it doesn't matter if you're in the infantry, it doesn't matter if you're a bandsman, it doesn't matter if you, um, uh, you know, if you were in like logistics or, right. You know, you just were doing paperwork at the company office. It's the fundamental things that you'll learn in, not only in boot camp, but as you kind of, go throughout about your Marine Corps career that, and that if you apply those things after you get out, that's how you, that's how you succeed. That's how you be successful. And there's, there's no way that any of this in my life would have happened without the Marine Corps. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome, man. And you've done so well for yourself. Uh, I am thoroughly impressed uh, with, with what you've done throughout your life. Uh, I mean, you've done things way more than I, I will ever do. Uh, but, and still continuing like being a police officer, you're, you're dealing with all the stress that you're dealing with and, uh, my hat's off to you, man. You're doing a heck of a job. It's, it's amazing. Hey, I, I mean, I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate your support. You know, it's, someone's got to do it. And nowadays it's, I kind of almost feel in a way that, uh, you know, there's a lot of officers that can almost relate to, uh, the Marines in some sort of aspect, because, you know, they always said that there's 1% of the population in the United States that'll go and join the Marine Corps. Yeah. 1%. And now I kind of almost feel like, you know, law enforcement at a whole is almost like that because yeah. there's not a lot of people that want to do this job anymore. And yeah. we are so short. Like there's a lot of nights where I'm on all by myself and my backup is 10, 15 minutes away. Wow. Yeah. It's it's a rough go, I think, for for any uh, police force, police officer, sheriff, whatever. I, it's a rough go right now. I you know, and I think it's cyclic. It will eventually uh, flip back over. Uh, oh yeah. Same thing with yeah. the military. Sometimes the military is very like you know you, you remember when nine eleven happened, and all of a sudden the military became very important, and yep. uh, you know uh, it was a very rewarding thing, uh, and then it just kind of has flipped a little bit. Uh, but I think it will eventually flip back around, uh, you know, just depending on the our nation and where we're sitting at that point in time. Uh, oh, yeah. So, but I'll tell you and anybody else that's in law enforcement and, and doing those things, like what you guys do is so important. Um, I 100 percent thank you guys for it because it is it's a tough job. And uh, I, I would just encourage you if you, you know, if you're getting stressed out, anything like that, same thing that we we're talking about, like, you know, go get some help. Uh, don't be too proud. You know, that's, that's my personal advice to you guys. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, 
but other than that, man, just you got to stay safe. Uh, do what you got to do. Keep pushing, like you say, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like I said, it's it's those fundamentals that you learn that, uh, you know, that mission accomplishment and just keep pushing until that mission's done, no matter what it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, man, um, before we end it, what is, um, I guess, your words of wisdom that you want to push out to everybody? Anything that like impactful that you want to say? Uh, or if you just want to give shouts out to people, that's fine too. Uh, but I want to give you, give you the time here to, uh, say, uh, what it is that you would like to say here. Oh man. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just can't stress enough, um, especially for, um, younger people and for people that are, you know, in that kind of that transition phase of, uh, getting out of the service. And it really doesn't even matter what branch you're in at all. Um, you know, take take those things that you've learned from the military and apply them, because as, as soon as you do that and it started as, as soon as you uh, you start to kind of figure out what what your niche is and what you want to do and you apply those fundamental things that you learned in the military, you're going to succeed. There's there's no ifs, ands or buts about it, you know, and when the going gets tough, you just revert back to what they told you yeah. and you're going to succeed. Yeah. Great advice, man. 100%. Um, well, hey, man, it's great catching up with you. Uh, I, I love hearing your stories. And I mean, I think it hit, it hits home to me. And I think it'll hit home to a lot of people that listen as well. So uh, thanks for sharing. Uh, thanks for sharing some of the, the uh, kind of intimate moments that you had throughout your career as well. Uh, and talking about some of that, there will be a lot of individuals that uh, can relate to that. So uh, very, very helpful in that that sense. So thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, for sure. It was a it was a great time. I'm uh, really glad we got to do this. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, and we'll have to get together again another time for sure. Um, yeah. So, but with that, hey, uh, everybody, thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I know I'm having a heck of a time uh, hosting them. Uh, and like I said before, if you want to be on and you want to tell your story, uh, shoot me an email: the lost art with Andrew Cox at gmail dot com. Um, and with that, uh, stay motivated and change your socks. <laughs>